Holy Spirit, we're going to walk in some deep water right now, and I pray that you would just enlighten us. In your name I pray, amen. So, what does St. Nick have to do with our sermon this morning? And of course, I'm talking about St. Nicholas, who uh, was an actual historical uh, person, who was kind of the precursor to Santa Claus. So what what does St. Nick have to do with looking at the most important truth of all the truths in our world today? Uh, Why is what we're going to talk about today and how St. Nick relates to it, how is that so important that if you don't get this right, Everything else is going to fall apart. Well, back in, in uh, A.D. 325, there was a, a church council held in the city of Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey. And um, this meeting was uh, uh, brought together all the church leaders from the Mediterranean world in that, in that era. And uh, it, it was assembled to address the teachings of Arius, who was a church leader in Alexandria, Egypt. And and basically what Arius was teaching has come to be known as Arianism. And it simply is, it's basically saying that God the Son had a beginning. That, you know, that Christ was not eternal like God the Father, but that at some point He came into existence. Well, you know, Arius said, up, you know, up until this point, excuse me, the church had taught that Jesus was always eternal, that he had always existed as God the Father had always existed. And Arius said, no. He says, no, there is a point when Jesus came into being, when the Christ, the God the Son, came into being. And, and here's the deal. This controversy centered around one, the difference of one small letter in the Greek uh, alphabet. Now, follow me here, okay? Look here on the screen. See, what Arius taught, we can get to the next slide here. There we go. What Arius taught is that Jesus and God the Father are homoousios, okay? Homoousios, okay? Which means of similar substance, okay? Uh, Of similar substance. But the other church leaders, led by a man by the name of Athanasius, they argued that all the members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are, next slide, Homoousios. You see, we've taken the, uh, the I, the iota out of there. And this word means, no, they're of the same substance. So uh, the debate then centered around whether God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, were similar or were they the same? Now, here's the tie-in to St. Nicholas, Okay. St. Nicholas was also at that conference as one of those church leaders. And the story goes that he became so enraged at the heresy that Arius was teaching that he slapped Arius in the face for for teaching that God the Father and God the Son were not equal. Okay? Well, thankfully, this first council of Nicaea 
got it right. Uh, they condemned the teachings of, of Arrhenius, uh, of Arius, the Arrhenianism that's, that is called. And they, the Orthodox belief in the Trinity was affirmed, that there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all of the same substance, the same, not similar, but the same. Now, you and I would think with that, Arianism was dead, okay? Uh, that it was laid to rest with the slap of St. Nick, you know? Uh, but unfortunately, that belief continues to plague Christianity today. And in our world, for that matter, today. Because there are a lot of people, folks, Christians included, that struggle with this, this eternal relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Listen to these facts from a, uh, a study that's called the 2020 uh, Study of Theology. And here's what it found, that almost three out of every four Americans that were surveyed, three out of every four Americans, that's 72%, they believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Hey, okay, good deal. But here's the kicker. Of those who believe in the Trinity, 55%, over half, 55% say that Jesus is the first and greatest creation of God the Father. In other words, they believe that Jesus is a created being. Folks, that's Arianism. And unfortunately, the problem isn't just a measure of non-church people. Uh, the study went on to say that those who attend religious services at least monthly, at least once a month, they are more likely than those who attend less than once a month to believe, to frequently say that Jesus is the cre greatest creation of God the Father. 68% uh, of church-going people believe that God created Jesus and that Jesus had a beginning, a beginning point. 68%. Uh, folks, that is incredible. Now, I'm not going to embarrass some of you by asking you, well, what do you believe? Because uh, I don't want anybody in here to be an Aryan, okay? <laughs> All right. You know, but the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people who are confused out there. And uh, I don't want you to be embarrassed by saying, well, yeah, that's kind of what I always thought, that God created Jesus and that's a, where he came from, uh, because that would be very discouraging to me as a pastor, that you don't know the truth that Jesus Christ has existed eternally uh, with God the Father and God the Spirit. Um, the study went on to say that 80% of Americans say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, of God the Father. But... Of those surveyed, only 41% say that the Son of God existed in time before Jesus' birth at Bethlehem. In other words, we got 41% who, who seem to say, or 59%, excuse me, that seem to say, well, no, Jesus began when he was born in Bethlehem. That's when the, the God the Son came into existence. Um, and you know what? One of the things about it, regular attendance at church does help out a little bit, okay? Because the surveys tend to say that those who attend at least four times a month, 63% would say, no, that the Son of God existed before Bethlehem. Do you see the confusion we're in? 
as Christians, and maybe why there's no power in our life, why there's no power in our, in our churches. Again, these are incredible findings. I, I, I think that Arius would probably be really happy to see look at the confusion that, that he has created. And, and jolly old St. Nick, he's probably got a hand raised to slap some sense into these church folks who believe that Jesus came into being at some point in time. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, now, what difference does it make? What I believe about the Trinity or about uh, the second person of the Trinity? Maybe my thoughts are pretty shaky. Why is this important? Folks, what I want you to know is this is critically important. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Folks, God is so great and and our belief in Him is so important that even the smallest change in our perspective of who He is and and how He acts can impact the totality of our life. Uh, our, Our beliefs, folks, set the course for our life and what we believe about God really dictates how our life is lived. I mean, what you believe about God sets your moral compass and shapes your attitude toward uh, fortune and fame and power and pleasure. Trusting the truth about God strengthens you in hardship and in pain. It keeps us faithful and courageous when we're outnumbered. Our belief in the truth of God uh, prompts our worship. And, and our praise enhances our worship. It dictates our worldview. It, it uh, determines our lifestyle. It is very, very important because it shows us when to say yes and when to say no. Um, knowing God gives us the hope to press on. And so our beliefs about God, folks, are foundational. They're the foundation upon which everything else rests in our life. And so you and I, when we understand the person and the nature and the character of God, it is at the same time critically important. But folks, it's also extremely difficult to really understand that. But especially when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, Augustine said this, if you can understand it, it's not God. See, that's the mystery of what we're dealing with when we talk about God. We talk about the person of God. You see, for you and I to try to understand God would be like an ant trying to understand you. Uh, You know, only by God's grace and God's revealing of himself to us can we ever know anything about God. Uh, So we're here in this study over the next few weeks. We're not going to try to figure God out, okay? That's not going to happen, all right? Instead, we want to humbly approach God and let Him show us what we need to know about Him, okay? So that's what we're going to do over the next uh, four weeks as we talk about the most important of all truths, and that's the doctrine of God. And, And so today I want to say, if you don't get this right, and we're talking about the Trinity, then you're headed down the wrong path in your life because everything will fall apart. The the most important piece of the doctrine of God, the foundation upon which everything else sits, is our understanding of the fact that God exists as a trinity. God exists as a trinity. This is crucial. This is essential, okay? Uh, Suppose I were to hand you a mystery novel, and I'd say, you know, this is the best mystery I've ever read, and I especially like that surprise ending at the end. And I give you the book, and boy, you're ready to go home, and you start devouring it and reading it, and you get to the end of the book, and I've torn out the last three pages. 
you'd be furious at me, wouldn't you? You know, because it's part of our nature that we don't like unresolved mystery. We don't like mysteries that don't solve themselves. We want it all figured out. Well, here's news for you. We are never going to figure out God, the Trinity of God, okay? Uh, We're never going to understand the full truth of what it means that God exists as a Trinity. And when we talk about Trinity, what we're saying is that God is one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, listen carefully. This is foundational. God is not three gods. There's only one God, okay? Nor is He a God who acts in three different ways toward us, okay? Uh, The Bible says that God is three different and three distinct people. And these three different and three distinct people are one in the being of God. Now, doesn't that kind of set your mind whirling when you think about that? How can that be, you know? Um, Would you agree with me this this doctrine of Trinity is just a little bit beyond our grasp? It, It really is. But you see, our belief in the Trinity is not based on human understanding. It's not based on some kind of philosophy. No, it grows out of God's revelation of Himself to us in the Word of God. Um, And we're going to look in just a moment at the biblical evidence of the Trinity. But before we go on, let me kind of put this whole thing into perspective by looking at some pictures and some statements regarding the Trinity. First of all, as we try to understand the doctrine of the Trinity, I want you to know that this is not found in a single verse in the Bible. There isn't one verse that says the Trinity is blah, 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 okay? You're not going to even find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity is throughout the Bible. And so we, we build our doctrine of the Trinity th- from passages throughout Scripture. I mean, by the way, the word relationship is not found in the Bible. And yet the whole message of the Bible is relationship, how God wants to relate to us and how He wants us to relate to one another. And there have been attempts throughout the ages of trying to explain the Trinity using word pictures. For instance, St. Patrick's symbol of the three-leafed clover. He used that as a symbol to try to explain the Holy Ghost. Uh, Excuse me, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, this three-leaf clover linked to good luck. But in reality, it had its roots in St. Patrick using that to try to teach the concept of the Trinity as he evangelized the coasts of Ireland. Uh, That there is one stem stem, but three petals on a a three-leaf clover. Another picture of the Trinity uh, comes from the world of, of science. And it's, you know, there are three forms of water. Water can be liquid, it can be ice, and it can be gas in the form of steam. And you realize that if you put water in a test tube, a vacuum tube, you suck all the air out of it, that if you lower that test tube to what's called absolute zero, which would be 459.57 degrees Fahrenheit below zero, at that point, when it reaches that point, suddenly within that test tube, you will have three forms of water. There'll be liquid, there'll be ice, and there'll be gas. And so in physics, it's called the triple point of water. And people have used that to try to explain the Trinity. Uh, let's get really simple. How about Neapolitan ice cream? You've got to have all three kinds of ice cream for it to be called Neapolitan, right? 
there's only two there, it's not Neapolitan, okay? So all of those are pictures. And really, folks, they're just feeble attempts to help us to try to understand or wrap our mind around the Trinity. Uh, Billy Graham said this, he said, when I first began to study the Bible years ago, the doctrine of the Trinity was one of the most complex problems I had to encounter. I have never fully resolved it, for it contains an aspect of mystery. Though I do not totally understand it this day, I accept it as a revelation of God. Folks, there's always going to be mystery when we try to grasp who God is and how He relates to us. It's always a mystery. Aren't we glad for that? You know, if God was some kind of everyday Joe, that we, there wouldn't be anything to really give our lives to. But there's mystery God is so much greater and bigger and farther and beyond our imagination and comprehension. And that draws us to Him, doesn't it? That we want to know more about Him and we want to have a relationship with Him. So when we say God is, is Trinity, let's pause for a moment to contemplate what we are not saying. Because it's become very easy to, to, uh, to uh, really misrepresent the truth. Look at this. Uh, it's image here. This has been used for centuries to try to explain the Trinity. And notice here that God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father, nor is He the Son. See, it's, it's a matter of it's not a matter of one person who shows himself in three different ways or takes on three different roles at different times. What the Bible teaches is that God is three distinct persons in one unique being. That's staggering for us to try to contemplate, right? So what I've done is I've ripped those last three pages out of your novel and handed it to you, and you're supposed to try to figure all this out. Folks, such a mystery we will never grasp with our mental faculties. It's something we grasp with faith. It's a hard issue. And God wants us to understand this because God truly wants us to know as deep as we can who He really is. Because He loves us. And He wants to be involved in our lives. So, <clears throat> let's talk about the doctrine of Trinity. How do we know that it's true? I mean, after all, you probably have friends, maybe who are Jehovah's Witnesses or who are Universalists or, or some of the Mormons, that uh, for them the Trinity is not, they would say the Trinity is not taught in God's Word at all. Well, is that true? So let's look in the Bible and see what the Bible says, okay? So let's look at the biblical doctrines or biblical teachings concerning the Trinity. And I want to just highlight three of the truths that are there. There's, there's others, but let's pull out three of them. First truth that we find in Scripture from beginning to end is that God is one. God is one. To the children of Israel, as they were preparing to enter the, the promised land, uh, through Moses, God said this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Okay. And then Isaiah, in chapter 40, uh, 46, and verse 9, he says, For I alone... It's got that word one in it, doesn't it? I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. And so there are not two gods. 
They're not three gods. They're not five gods. There's only one God. And, and that teaching is at the core of what God reveals to himself in the Old Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, it overflows even more to say that there is, God is one. Okay? The second truth, then, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all called God. All of them are called God. Now, some of our uh, groups in other, uh, other, I wouldn't call them faiths, I would call them cults or whatever, uh, they deny that the Holy Spirit or that Jesus is God. Um, but throughout Scripture, all of these are called God. First of all, look, the Father is God. The Father is identified in Scripture as God. Romans 1, the last part of verse 7. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. A second passage talks about that Jesus is God. Uh, we go back to John chapter 20 and verse 28, when Jesus you know, appeared to the, 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 nine of the or ten of the disciples, and Thomas wasn't present, <clears throat> and uh, he says, I don't, I don't believe that he's res- risen from the dead unless I can touch his hands and, and uh, see his hands and, and touch his, the hole in his side. And then when Jesus appeared to Thomas, Thomas uttered this. He says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Uh, notice Thomas called Jesus God. And Jesus never refuted him, said, no, 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 wait a minute, Thomas, you got this all wrong. I'm not God. He accepted that exclamation from Thomas that he was God. And that's just one of the places in the Bible that clearly teaches us that Jesus is God. For instance, we go back to the very first verse in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, where John said this, in the beginning was the Word, and that that word, word in the Greek is the word logos. And it it is a, a phrase that John used to talk about God incarnate in the Son, Jesus Christ. He said, this is the Logos, the Word of God. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, that was Jesus, the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's an affirmation from John, who was one of his followers. You go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and Paul said this. He says, Christ is the visible image. Uh, the, the word image there in Greek is the word icon. You all know what icons are. You wear them on your, you know, whatever. It's he, Christ is the visible, what you see, image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. I think Arius somehow missed that verse in his Bible. It says that Christ existed before anything was created. In other words, how could he be the first thing that was created if he existed before the first thing was created? See what I'm saying here? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So scripture teaches us that the father is God. The Son is God. And then, how about the Spirit? Folks, the Spirit is God as well. 
Sometimes we make the mistake of talking about the Holy Spirit as if it were an it. You know, you know, if, if some kind of it's not really it's it's it. You know, the Spirit. But folks, God's Spirit is a person just as much as the Father and the Son are. This is very clear from Jesus' words uh, about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17, Jesus said this, and I'm going to ask the Father, there's God the Father, and He will give you another advocate. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. Another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him. Because He lives with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus is saying the Advocate is coming from the Father. Who is God? The Advocate, the Holy Spirit. Let's go to an incident in the book of Acts. Um, You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, They had this example. Here's Barnabas. And Barnabas had some property and he sold it and he brought it to the church. And everybody said, man, isn't Barnabas great? This son of encouragement, isn't he great? Look at what he did. He, he gave all this money to the church. So Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, you know, we got a piece of land. And uh, we could sell that and we could bring money to the church. And people would think, man, aren't Ananias and Sapphira great and all that. So they sold a piece of land. But you know what they did? Uh, they kept part of it for themselves, put, you know, half of it in their pocket. Then they brought the money and said, hey, we've sold land. And this is what we got for it, all this money. Half truth, right? Because they kept part of it, all right? Look what, look what Peter said to him in Acts chapter 5, verse 34. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your hearts? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So he says, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And then just a few uh, phrases later, he says, you are lying to God. So Peter is speaking of the Holy Spirit and God as the same person. And so in, in the coming weeks, we're going to be studying God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and in, in really trying to understand how each of these members of the Trinity operate and activate, active, uh, are active in our life. The third truth, first of all, that God is one, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father are all God. Truth number three is the Father and the Son and the Spirit are distinct from one another. They're distinct from one another. Uh, First of all, Jesus is distinct from the Father in the fact, first of all, that he prayed to the Father. I mean, think how ridiculous it would be if Jesus had simply been God the Father, but he's down here now and he's praying to himself. Wouldn't that be kind of awkward? Wouldn't that be kind of weird? But they were separate and they were distinct. And it's obvious that while Jesus was here on earth, he was relying on a father in heaven and who was distinct from him. And you think about it, the father is referred to Jesus in his teachings over 200 times in the gospel records. Um, For instance, how about just a couple of samples from John's gospel? Uh, It tells us, first of all, that the Father sent 
the Son. John 3, 17. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. So Jesus is saying, I've been sent from God the Father not to judge, but to save the world. Uh, so the Father sent the Son. Second thing that Jesus told us is that the Father loves the Son. John three thirty five. The Father loves His Son and has put everything into His hands. The Father knows the Son just as the Son knows the Father. That's the third thing that we want to mention here. And John ten fifteen. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So what you see in Scripture is that the Father and the Son are clearly distinct from one another. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, Scripture teaches that the Spirit is also distinct from the Father. In John 14, verse 26, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now, <laughs> Jesus would not have called the Spirit another advocate here in, in this verse or in John uh, 14, verse 16, if the Spirit was just Jesus coming in some other form to us, okay? Again and again, the Bible uses language that shows that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are distinct from one another. So what is the conclusion to all this? God is one being and He exists in three persons. Now, look at this, and you can probably add this up, okay? This is, this is the truth here, the conclusion we reach. First of all, God is one, okay? Plus the truth that the Father, Son, and Spirit are called God. And then add to that, the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons, and you have what? The Trinity. All of that equals the Trinity. One God in three persons. And, and here's the thing, folks. <clears throat> you hear from time to time, and, and probably more frequently than, than, than not, that, well, you know, the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity or whatever. Anyone who denies the truth of the Trinity is going to be denying one of these three truths, okay? Uh, they're going to they're gonna say, oh, if I don't believe in the Trinity because the Bible never says that Jesus called himself Son of God. They haven't read the book of John very well, have they? Okay? Or they say, you know, the Father and the Son, or maybe the Son and the Spirit, they're not distinct persons. They're just, one was here in, in body, and then when he left, he came back, you know, in a spirit form. And, and they're, they're going to deny one of these three truths. And what happens is that these false teachers, they're going to use emotion, they're going to use human reasoning, they're going to say, you know, this Trinity thing, that is, that's not rational. You're, you're not thinking correctly there. Um, and so what you've got to do is these false teachers, and there are a lot of them out there, listen to what they're saying about the Trinity. Because you can count on the fact that false teachers do not believe in one or more of these distinct uh, doctrines or distinct, distinct beliefs. They don't believe that the Son and the Spirit are also God. That's most often the case, okay? Or they don't believe that Jesus, I mean, that God is three distinct persons. And so, some don't even believe there's only one God. Some say, no, what, what you all are really teaching is three gods. A Father God, a, God, a Son God, a, a Spirit God. Um, you know, universalism just denies 
the entire idea of Trinity says there's God and he's one and, and all that other stuff is just nonsense, okay? <clears throat> they want to have a God who makes sense to them. And when you do that, you've got to throw out what the Bible teaches about God. Um, they're not believing what the Bible specifically tells us about God. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking here at this point. So why is this important? I mean, why is the belief in the Trinity so vitally important? Why, why should we study it over these next few weeks? Well, let me give you three reasons. First of all, theologically, it's very important because we, we need to understand the truth of the Trinity. And that's going to prevent us from having an inadequate view of God. It prevents us from seeing Jesus and the Father as exactly, you know, as exactly the same, maybe, or from thinking there are three gods rather than one God, you know, that, and we can really get muddled here. And we need the, the theology that teaches us that there is three distinct persons, all one God, all the same substance, but each of them is unique and each is different. And one of the inevitable temptations <clears throat> that we have as human beings is that we always think of God as less than He really is. We want to kind of dumb down God. Get Him down to our size so we can <clears throat> wrestle with Him, we can argue with Him, we can disobey Him and not feel so guilty about it. Uh, so we, we want to see God as less than He really is. But the truth of the Trinity will help to uh, keep us with a high level of God because He's a mystery. He's a mystery. A second reason why the study of the Trinity is important, it's important personally for you and for me. Because the Trinity is a, <coughs> excuse me, is a reminder of the majesty and the mystery of a God who gave himself for us on the cross. I mean, think about the truth of the Trinity when, when you ask for salvation. Think about how the Trinity is involved in our, in our salvation experience. First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction into your heart that I need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. John 16, verse 8 says, and when he, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, to draw you to God through Jesus Christ. And then there's the Son. What does he do in the, in the salvation experience? He's the one who sacrificed on your behalf, on my behalf. Hebrews 10.10, 10, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. The Holy Spirit convicts us that we need salvation. Jesus sacrificed himself to provide for salvation. And then <clears throat> their third thing is the Father gives. That's John 3.16. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. I'm sorry, that's... That's Hebrews 10, 10. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. So the salvation comes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the giving of God the Father. But think about also how the, the doctrine of the Trinity relates to such things as praying. Do you realize the Trinity is involved any time you pray? Uh, for instance, first of all, we start with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit communicates our desires the urgings of our, our heart to God. Romans 8 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, 
We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Have you ever had one of those prayers where you're just kind of groaning to God? You don't know what to say, but you just, I just need you, God. I need you in this situation, and you don't have words for it. The Holy Spirit is taking that, and He's bringing it to the throne of grace. And then, not only that, but then Jesus is involved when we pray because He is interceding on our behalf. Again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then condemns us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand doing what? Pleading for us. He's pleading for us. Holy Spirit is bringing that prayer to the, Holy, to the Heavenly Father. And Jesus is there pleading. So, Father, answer this prayer. Answer this prayer. And then look. The Father answers. John 16, 23 and 24. At that time, you won't need to ask for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly. And He will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. So even in such thing, not only salvation, but any of it in our prayer life, the Trinity is involved in all of that. <clears throat> and then the last reason why I think that we ought to study the Trinity is it's, it's important relationally. It's an important relational thing in our life. You see, the Trinity in its very essence is relational. Okay? I mean, before God created us, there was a perfect relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So God didn't need to create us because He was lonely. Because He had a perfect relationship between the three of them. Okay? Uh, and our ability to relate to one another and to enjoy our relationship with God grows out of God's relational nature. So that's so important because he wants relationship with us. Doesn't need it, but he desires it. He wants it. We were created for relationship with God. Now, <clears throat> I know that probably as you leave this morning, you're going to you think maybe that I fed you sawdust, you know, you think some kind of dry theological kind of thing going on here. And this is just horribly boring or whatever that. But I want you to know that this personal God who relates to us as a trinity who exists as a trinity he created you he created me for this very purpose of getting to know him so that we could love him and enjoy him we're created for God God is a God of relationship, and He wants us to know Him completely. Look at, at Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. I don't believe it's there in your notes, but it here, it's here on the screen. Paul said this, you know, because we're, we're really trying to, I want you to get to the depths of knowing the one who loves us so much. Look what he said. When I think of all this, and he's been talking about all that God has done in his, in his life through his ministry and how God called him to specifically to the Gentiles and all that he did through the Gentiles. He said, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, okay? The creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And here's his prayer. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. 
So here's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is going to empower us from the powerhouse of God the Father. How big is God's powerhouse? Big. big. <laughs> yeah, big. All right. From his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. When you feel like, man, I'm weak. I can't get through this week. I, this, this, everything's falling in around me. I feel so helpless. Look what it says. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you with inner strength. That's where your strength for living comes from. And then verse 17. Then Christ, that's the second member of the Trinity. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. That is what we're after, folks. Every single one of us, we want Jesus Christ to take up residence, be at home in our life. Not just to be a guest in the house, but be the main thing in the house of our life. We want him to, to make his home in your hearts as we trust in him. And then look, <clears throat> he says, I pray that your roots will go down deep into God's love. We just need to come to an understanding of how deep God loves us. If you could ever comprehend, you know, people say, well, I don't love God enough. No, the problem is you don't know how much God loves you. If you could come to understand how much God loves you, it would change everything. He says, I want you to know how much He loves you. That your roots will go down deep into God's love. And when that happens, what happens? It keeps you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. His love is limitless. There's no boundaries to His love. And then verse 19, He says, I'm praying that you may experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. It's kind of like the doctrine of the Trinity, right? It's too deep to understand. We need to know that God's love is so deep, we will never fully understand it. But when we do begin to understand a little bit of how much God loves us, look what He says. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You and I could come to understand how much God loves us. Then we would begin to understand and be filled completely with a full life and power that comes from God. Folks, what I want you to know, I mean fully know, I want you to fully know God. I want you to deepen your relationship with Him. And to do that, you need to know that He exists as a Trinity. Uh, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to be <clears throat> really digging into this, each person of the Trinity, and, and how that person relates to us and works in our lives and in our, in our circumstances. And folks, this is important, okay? Because knowing God is the most important aspect of life. There's nothing more important than, than knowing God. I mean, uh, after all, folks, we were created by God to know and to love the one who loved us so much that he, the Father, sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to die to give us salvation, which the Holy Spirit then takes and applies to our life. So let's face it. Um, this truth may very well be the very best gift that jolly old St. Nicholas ever gave us. The truth of the, of the Trinity of Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer.
Father, I thank you that you relate to us in so many different ways. Thank you that you are one. And yet, we know you as God the Father. We know you as God the Son. We know you as God the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes just to catch a glimpse of the mystery, but also the majesty of who God really, really is. So teach us, Father, to love you more, to know you more. In your name we pray. Amen.